Welcome to another episode of Pod for Good, a podcast where we talk to the change agents trying to make Tulsa, Oklahoma, and the world a more vibrant and inclusive place. I'm your chief philanthropod, Jesse Ulrich. And I'm your vice admiral philanthropod, Chris Miller. And today, our guest is Tyrant Billingsley II, who is the founder of Black Tech Street. We talked to Tyrants about building the spiritual successor to Black Wall Street, his four pillars that are going to guide Black Tech Street, and we try to force Jesse to commit to doing a Black Tech Street podcast, unless he edited that part out. I didn't, and I said yes. Uh, we, also <laughs> end, we also end the episode with uh, some Game of Thrones talk, so you can look forward to that. And if you're listening to this before October 22nd, Pod for Good is having our one-year anniversary live stream on Facebook and YouTube. Please check it out. We're going to have some of our favorite guests from this past year, and we're just going to try to try to have fun in this incredibly weird and sad time. It's going to be Pod for Less Sad. Yes. But for now, enjoy our conversation with Tyrants. We are very excited to have founder and CEO of Black Tech Street, Tyrants Billingsley II, on the podcast today. Tyrants, how you doing? I'm doing pretty great, man. Thank you for having me. This is this is a great opportunity. You got me all with my fancy mic and everything. It's all great. <laughs> Pot for good does not mess around. We take this very we take this as seriously as two unserious right. people can take something. And, and please don't tell any prior guests that Jesse gave you a microphone since he didn't do that for literally any of the other guests. Oh no, the whole point was to let them know that I'm special. You know, that was the entire point. <laughs> to Congressman uh, Kojo and his wife Anika, I apologize. To Greg Robinson, I apologize. To our city councilor, Kara Joe McKee, I apologize. Did you apologize, apologize. to Tulsa to- of the Year? Uh, yeah, to Tulsa of the Year, Jeff Martin. I haven't apologized to him yet. We are here to talk about Black Tech Street. Future mm-hmm. Tulsa Man of the Year. Yes, yeah. I mean, and 2021 Tulsa Man of the Year, which will be way better than 2020 because this year has been terrible. <laughs> Absolutely. Good Lord. So tell us about the genesis of Black Tech Street. I'm a born and raised Tulsan, you know, um, here in the African-American community, grew up with the stories of Black Wall Street. And, um, you know, you all know the story of Black Wall Street. It was once the most affluent entrepreneurial African-American community in the country ended up being destroyed in the Tulsa race massacre. And that's kind of defined the narrative ever since, even though we, there were different iterations of black wall street afterward, the massacre defined the narrative ever since. So I got me thinking, I've always been passionate about entrepreneurship and I've always been passionate about technology and its ability to change the world. So it got me thinking if black wall street was a premier of innovation and a premier of, of entrepreneurship back then, had it not been destroyed, what would probably be the industry that it that it most it was wrapped in that most proliferated with the tech industry being the industry that is at the premier of of innovation and causing impact as well as wealth creation in the world i thought well had black wall street been dis- been supported and not destroyed it would be nothing other than a premier tech hub so thus black tech street was born so you know should i go into it now or should i you know some more of the uh, breakdown yeah well i mean so that's what you told us was why why it should exist. Now tell us how it's going to exist. So Black Tech Street is going to be executed, A, by leveraging multiple different national and local partners, but specifically around four core pillars. So the first pillar is the relocation of African-American startups, African-American and minority-focused venture capital firms, and African-Americans who work remotely for major tech companies. So by doing that, 
not only are we helping edify the narrative of Tulsa's black uh, as uh, as black tech street, we're also you know introducing a massive pool of brilliance and even more talent into, into Tulsa's ecosystem. Because if Tulsa is a place where you know there are incentives for African Americans, both the startups, the capital, and the brilliant remote workers to all come here almost as if like it's always been home, you know, we're going to have a proliferation of incredible talent and incredible ideas. The second pillar is the tech enabling of local African-American businesses that are not inherently hockey stick growth companies. So what do I mean by that? We know that there are multiple different tech services out there that can help traditional businesses to grow their revenue, grow their customer acquisition and all sorts of things like that. So we're brokering a partnership with QuickBooks, Salesforce, and Google for Google Analytics. So we can offer a package of a lot of these different services to local African-American businesses absolutely for free because, you know, tech isn't just, we don't want people to think that when we talk about tech, we're just talking about the people with high growth tech company ideas. We want to produce more of those, but also we're showing how immersing ourselves in the tech industry can enhance, can enhance and make more resilient every aspect of our lives that includes traditional business. The third pillar is actually weaving a culture of tech um, entrepreneurship throughout the African-American community, beginning in Tulsa schools. So we're partnering with the Kapoor Center and an organization called Smash, who specialize in finding different ways to integrate uh, coding and tech entrepreneurship skills in K-12 programs and through traditional schooling. And our goal here is to create appendage create an appendage, appendage to the Tulsa public school system where African-Americans who go through TPS via either after school programs or, or other institutes that we partner with grow up knowing things like how to code and grow up learning the steps about tech of tech entrepreneurship so that when they graduate, they can go to schools like Holberton and, um, and just hit the ground running or actually be certified when they graduate from high school as like software engineers. And also that provides a viable third alternative to either going to a four-year university or going to a trade school. If, if there's a viable third alternative for African-Americans to just come out of the school knowing how to code, they can either go straight into the workforce um, of being a software engineer or the viable alternative of them starting a tech company because the ecosystem we've built out is so robust that there's enough resources out there that really makes that a viable option that you know hedges the risks, that decreases the risk that one would typically have. That pillar is so important because we know that in the, over the next over the next 10 years, there's going to be there's going to be almost a million jobs in the software tech world that are going to go unfilled due to lack of talent. And all of these almost all of these jobs are going to be 100, 100K or, or more. So if we are able to cultivate here in Tulsa a workforce of African-Americans to go in and help fill those jobs, not only is that helping boom our economy, but. That also provides a model for other cities to also understand that a way to remedy a problem of intergenerational wealth in the African-American community might be through, you know, building them up to be a massive tech workforce and tech entrepreneurs. The fourth pillar is advocating at the state and local level for minority and tech friendly policies. So, you know, interfacing with uh, entities like NVCA um, in D.C. and uh, Aspen Institute in California to look at certain policies that cities have actually put in place to help tech people, both tech companies and uh, tech workers flourish. So whether that be something simple like the software tax cut that Oklahoma had, had recently adopted or things more advanced, we're going to be looking into ways to put those policies into place. But also when we say minority and tech friendly policies, we don't just mean at the state and local level intrinsically, we also mean policies within companies that make for more inclusive environments to help them thrive. So between these four pillars, 
We plan to facilitate $1 billion worth of investment in the African-American community via tech-facing community development initiatives over 10 years. And the whole goal of it is, even though Black Tech Street is the name of the entity, Black Tech Street will also be the new moniker for Tulsa. A hundred years ago, we commemorated the destruction of uh, Black Wall Street. The goal is to establish something that a hundred years from now, our descendants will be able to commemorate the beginning of Black Tech Street. One of the things that you've uh, talked about in some of your writing is that, sorry, imposter syndrome. And that uh, one of the things that you want to tackle is is empowering uh, Black youth so that they don't automatically you know, say, well, I can't, I can't go into tech. I'm not the right person. How, how are you going to attack that? And, and what's, what's kind of, what does that mean to you? So there are multiple ways to attack that part of, part of the very sheer coordinating of the ecosystem towards building these mechanisms specifically for black children will go a long way to dispel that because that actually shows that not only are they worth it, but the fact that these programs will be built specifically for them, they won't have to suffer imposter syndrome as much because they're going to be in environments and they're going to be being taught this in ways that are very culturally competent and that are very much in line with who they are versus in line with who they quote unquote should be. But imposter syndrome is real in the African-American community in general, but specifically with the tech industry because of what I just said. Tech is the premier industry of the world, really, not just in terms of the people who are the richest, but the companies that are making the biggest impact. So if you have imposter syndrome to begin with, you're going to have it to the max regarding the industry that you think is is meant for the nerd uh, white elite people. You know what I mean? Quote unquote. So, I mean, you've got to. I, I have no idea who that would who that would be or what they would look like. <laughs> I'm pointing at Jesse. I'm pointing at Jesse. Oh, no, no. I didn't mean you, Jesse. I meant Mark Zuckerberg. I didn't mean you. <laughs> but yeah, so we've got to be able to we've got to be able to dismantle these dismantle these ideas because the imposter syndrome is there to begin with. But I mean, even more so when you're talking something as prestigious as the tech industry, you know, it's got to you've got to have a massive shift. But that's part of what Black Tech Street is. It's not just putting these initiatives in place. It's also cultivating a culture shift in Tulsa in and of itself where you associate black with tech. Like, so if we immerse the black community in our culture within this very culture, that's how we become a hub of pure innovation and wealth creation. I'm blown away by the like enormity of this project and it touches on so many different things because like you, you were talking about state and city, like tech based policies that also brings in how a city is wired for the internet and where good internet goes and where Mm -hmm. bad internet. That's part of part of the issues that and I think one of these things that COVID totally just blew out of the water is tech isn't just this. We like to think of tech as just one of the industries like, oh, you know, there's tech, there's education, there's science, there's STEM. The reality is tech isn't just one industry on a trade anymore. Tech is all encompassing. It's it's now the base. It's now the baseline for everything. We're talking about how how difficult imagine like kids not being able to be in school now because they don't have right access to internet because of COVID or, or how many businesses lost out on money because they didn't have certain software tools to help them, you know, navigate these, these new times or zoom. I mean, all of this, we've got to stop thinking about tech. Like it's a specific industry necessarily and more so like it's, it's the water we live in now. So being able to immerse the African-American community in that is almost like a perfect, it's almost like a perfect, I want to say about face because African-Americans for so long 
have been denied the, the, the baseline things that we've needed to succeed. So immersing us in the thing that is now baseline for the new world sets us up to, you know, be at the forefront of innovation and the forefront of so many things going forward. So it's a, it's a, it's a brilliant, it's, it's an actual shift in both culture and in, uh, I would say resource positioning that we're, that, that we're actually moving towards. And I think that's an important part of, of your policy the, and, and what you're trying to build. The fact that you, you want to bring along a lot of the traditional businesses that aren't technically in the tech industry, but how you're using tech to bring them along so that they don't feel like they're going to be left behind by this new innovation. Absolutely. And not only not, I don't even, I wouldn't even just say bring them along. I would say just say help bring them up to speed and make their businesses more resilient. I mean, we're, we're in the era of COVID. I mean, we've got to be thinking everything we're thinking about is going to require sheer innovation in order for even old things that we had to be more resilient to things like this. So again, tech isn't, it's not just a way to enhance businesses anymore. I mean, it's, it's almost a necessity now, but, but no, very much, very much, very much. So what, what you're saying, um, so, yeah, that's the Black Tech Street initiative and the Black Tech Street organization that I'm building, you know, that that would be me and my team are going to kind of sit at the center and kind of coordinate a lot of these different initiatives and these different efforts among the ecosystem, cultivating global, national and local partners to continue to be a force for this. I mean, there's not going to be a point that once the Black Tech Street initiative is, quote unquote, complete, then it's over. No, our organization is going to continue to be a connection between Tulsa and world-class tech resources, whether they be companies, organizations, or new ideas to be piloted here that can end up solving issues we have, our company is essentially going to be going to be a conduit for for that. You you reached out to me a couple months ago about this project, and from that point, I know many things have happened. Right. Is there so where are you now in this process? So we've had some pretty amazing things happen. So I think the thing that happened right after I reached out to you was. Congressman Ro Khanna, who is the congressman over Silicon Valley, he and I ended up connecting and we actually have an op-ed that's going to come out in a national in a national news media outlet where we actually put the gauntlet out to Silicon Valley and some of the other big companies and challenge them to come help us build Black Tech Street and do it in a way that's different than that's ever been done before. So we incentivize them to, to we try to get them to incentivize their African-American remote workers to apply to Tulsa Remote. We also um, opened the door for general partnerships and investment in helping build and bring Black Tech Street to fruition. That's one big thing that, that's happened. Another big thing, probably the biggest thing that's happened is there's a massive organization called Second Muse. They're actually the entity that helped Lightship Capital raise their $50 million fund. They actually put $20 million into it. They have totally embraced Black Tech Street. They're even allowing me to use every, every resource they have is now mine. BizDev Law, um, um, their law firms, their uh, or their law team, and even the operations operational staff that I needed, they're actually going to be filling with their staff. They're essentially giving me a team, even though I still have full autonomy over it. But because they believe in this, and they're going to put boots on the ground to help us build out this ecosystem. They have done amazing things before. They've done work in New York. They're connected to the. Uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They've got work overseas. They're just this massive organization that specializes in ecosystem building and building ecosystems equitably. And they're fully on board and they're helping to power us. It's been, it's, it's pretty incredible. That actually just got kind of made official like last week. So it's, it's pretty incredible. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> 
Uh, so rarely get to use that button on our podcast recently because our podcasts have usually been really sad lately. No, this is good. Well, what I was going to ask about, not to, I, I don't know if this is a downer question now. So sorry, oh, Jesse. Sweet. Well, <laughs> so, yeah, lately there have been a lot of instances of tech companies either not taking care of their employees or trying to, right. you know, kind of control them more, what they say, what they do and stuff like that. So how do you build a black tech street that empowers the employees as well as, you know, those who are the entrepreneurs and the startups and the business owners? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked this question because it goes into a uh, bigger, something bigger I'd like to explore. So when I first started, kind of had this idea, I was calling it Black Silicon Valley. Not only is that unoriginal, but there are also a lot of problems with that because as I look through Silicon Valley, you know, I, I read so many books, you know, The Rainforest is a book that was written about how you could duplicate Silicon Valley and so many other ecosystem books because everybody's trying to duplicate Silicon Valley. And beyond that not being original, when you look at the culture of Silicon Valley, there's a lot of stuff there you do not want to emulate. Not only the culture within the companies, but the sheer fact that the proliferation of companies has driven property values up so much and driv driven specifically minority people out of their neighborhoods. So when I thought and I said, okay, I want to build a premier tech hub here, but I'm not trying to recreate Silicon Valley. So how do I go about that differently? That's not just in the, that's not just in the tactics we use. That's also in the very culture that we use. So one of the things that attracted me so much to Second Muse is because their culture is unlike anything that I've ever seen in any, any organization of, of their prestige and their level. I mean, they, it's genuinely like a family. You know, one of the core, one of their core tenets is you do not have to build economies at the expense of human dignity. So when we're talking about building black tech street, we're not just talking about just building some black tech hub. Stuff like that exists everywhere. Not only are we trying to make it bigger than that, we're also trying to make it have an entirely different culture that tech has ever had before. One that is not inundated by white supremacy, sexism, patriarchy, things like that. We're really looking at doing this in a totally different way. And that's why building out the culture of what Black Tech Street is is so core because, yeah, our compelling story and with the with the traits that Tulsa has, you know, low cost of living, more realistic valuation from startups that could attract anybody. And, and we could get a proliferation of companies. But to really be different, to really innovate, not just in terms of technology, but to innovate in terms of culture and innovate in terms of standards of this industry, we've got to lay something different. And, you know. One of my favorite quotes or one of my favorite words with the meaning behind it, you know, it's a it's an African word that, that it said it's Ubuntu. You know, my humanity is tied to yours. And even though I haven't fully worked that into the, the culture just yet, that's definitely a cultural value that I, I intend to, you know, lay as the bedrock for the culture of Black Tech Street here. Because, you know, competition is 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 helpful in some areas, but in a lot of areas, it's for losers. You know, the the people who really end up building these incredible things work together and they do so in a way that is not based on the toxic laissez-faire capitalist culture that so many of us were raised in that in that and that specifically permeates the entire tech industry as it is right now so were you always a technology person were you the like the kid who like took a telephone apart or like deleted a windows 3.11 dll file to see what would happen so no i i was not i, that I ever did that yeah you definitely did that so so I was the kid who was curious and my initial my initial inclination was always towards science. So fun fact, I've gone through a lot of phases in my life 
Uh, the first things I ever wanted to be, though, I, I went from being wanting to be a paleontologist and then I wanted to be a theoretical physicist. And then when I mm. wanted to be a theoretical physicist, I, I got all of these concepts. I always was able to come up with the newest concepts, but then I figured out I wasn't good enough at the math. So, you know, I had to, <laughs> so, you know, eventually I wanted to go into politics. But the reason why I said that is because I'm on the founder conceptual side of entrepreneurship. So I've always kept up with the latest technology. I've always kept up with how technology can be utilized to make the world better. But no, I don't write code. I'm not the person who 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 takes computers apart. You know, I'm not I'm actually not that individual. And you know, even though I don't like some of the other things about Steve Jobs, but there was a movie, there's a scene where where you know he and Wozniak are talking and, and Woz is like, what do you do? You don't write code. You don't put hammer to a nail. What do you do? Like, why are you a genius? Like, how can, how is all this stuff possible? He says, you know, I play the orchestra, you know, you sit right there. You're the best in your row. Even though he said that, you know, he was being, uh, you know, he was being an asshole when he said that. And that's part of one of his core, core problems. That is a true gift, being able to be a visionary and see how things work together and help pull potential out of this thing or that thing and make it work together to weave something new together. That is a gift that has had to be honest, has yielded some of the greatest advancements in human, in, in human history and, and not to try to be arrogant, but I do feel like that's always a gift I I've had. So that is really what led me to this to to black tech street. You know, I was, my father did always used to hand me a Forbes list, uh, uh, magazine when I was young and I did always aspire to be a billionaire, but as I got older, you know, I mean, a billion dollars would still be nice, but money isn't everything that the impact is, is more important. And, you know, like I said, we don't have to build economies at the expense of human dignity. That can be done other ways. So I, I always ask this question about organizations that are around uh, Black Wall Street and talking about it, which is to tell who even know it exists and to know what happens in their mind. All they still see is that one small strip right. of Greenwood. So when you say. Black Tech Street, like how much of downtown Tulsa are you imagining? Are you imagining all of it? I'm imagining it's not, Black Tech Street is not confined to a physical space. I'm ima- I am imagining a massive area prolif- with a proliferation of black companies, but it's not confined to a physical space. That's part of what makes tech the perfect place to build this and the perfect way to build this. What better way to build something that was obliterated than to rebuild it in a way that you can't obliterate? You can't obliterate a, a, a tech hub. You can't obliterate the all of these files. You can't obliterate, like you said, you can't obliterate a, a, an ecosystem like that. It's it's different. You've got to build it not only better, but you got to build it in a way that's resilient and resistant to the last way it was destroyed. So you know, when I imagine Black Tech Street, I imagine this a concept where innovation and, and brilliance of black people shines through via the tech industry. And the original Greenwood extended, you know, far north of downtown. Right. Mm-hmm. And and you talked a little bit about this, but but how do you bring in these companies, have them develop and innovate, you know, without over gentrifying that area and potentially driving out the current residents? Absolutely. So the area specifically where we would have a lot of the companies relocate downtown to be, to be absolutely frank, has already been, you know, redeveloped. And, you know, some of those neighborhoods of, unfortunately, some of those people have already been pushed out. But to the point, the way I, the, the way I perceived getting around that was the Tulsa, the remote aspect is crucial because being able to get these entire distributed workforces down here as individuals, but not as massive companies that are building new buildings and then raising property value, that's a way to get the talent here. That's a way to get the output here, but that's a way around the kind of, mass gentrification. Now, 
property values will still increase over time, you know, and, and once Black Tech Street is Black Tech Street, yes, some of that is still going to happen. But, you know, part of part of the model is Black Tech Street. So the first people who knew about Black Tech Street were was Greg Robinson and other people in the community because they were mentors to me. Having the community at the center and being able to voice these concerns before you engage CEOs, before you engage city officials, before you engage any of these people, the core stakeholders being being there and deciding and talking about, is this good? What is this going to cost? Is there a different way we can do this? That's a way to, even if you don't have an immediate answer always, that's a way to ensure that the answer you do come to is always going to be rooted in a, in that community aspect. I mean, speaking of Greg Robinson, we are a couple of days from the election right. where he got an incredibly, again, of the small amount of people who voted for mayor, apparently. Right. Uh, Greg Robinson did incredibly well considering he got into the race in June. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know you've been posting on Facebook about it, but my, I've been, like, people, people have been posting very heartfelt messages on Facebook about what it meant and how we go forward. Some people are angry. Some people are frustrated. Like, how are you, how are you feeling today? It's, you know, it's August 27th. So, no, I was, I, I don't know if you, well, you probably know if you don't know from Facebook, but Greg has probably been the most influential person in my life outside of my parents. You know, he came back a few years ago and that's when most people got to know him, but he actually mentored me when I was a senior in high school. So I've known him for seven years where most people have known him for like three or four. It was pretty incredible to get the rest of the city to learn about him, what I've known since I was about him since I was a teenager. And I do, there is a sense of pain there that the city's not going to be able to experience that in the way that they might have had they voted for him and had he become mayor. But the city knows what's possible now because they've seen him. They've, they've seen him, you know, they've seen how he moves. And, and it's funny you ask this because this is perfect. When Black Tech Street comes to fruition, this city will also have Greg Robinson to thank for that because not only was he the first person I told, he's the reason I decided to stay in Tulsa instead of going, uh, going away for college when I was in high school because we worked on Mayor Kathy Taylor's 2013, uh, you know, reelection campaign together. That's when I learned about all this development that was coming to Tulsa. That's when he kind of laid the track that, you know, Tulsa's up and coming, man. You could, you could stay here. You could do something amazing and you could build it into something world class rather than going off to New York or Chicago and trying to conquer these beasts that have already been developed in our, in our, in our centuries old. You've got something brand new almost that you could build into something bigger than any of those things. And, He's the reason that I wanted to stay here. So again, if not only the impact on me, not only do I feel like the city missed out in terms of electing him, but I'm 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 grateful that the city got to see him. And if when Black Tech Street comes to fruition again, they'll they'll have him to thank for it uh, inadvertently. Also, I'm wondering, are you there? There are now like six co-working spaces in Tulsa, and so I was wondering if is part of this going to have a more black centered co-working space and if so will you get better internet to that co-working space than 36 degrees north has (laughs) (laughs) so that has been kicked around and the idea for that is being explored but you know ideally you know 36 degrees north has some things in the works that if black tech street could come as a full partner on we can end up ensuring ensuring that what black entrepreneurs and black people need are equally represented there as as what others need i'm I mean, but the idea of a, a, a black focused co-working space, you know, that's been explored. That's definitely been kicked around. But, you know, I'm kind of wondering, I'm wondering if we can't get this right in Tulsa. You know, I'm wondering if in Tulsa, this could be the place where 
once Black Tech Street is established and has its has its bearings, if we could end up partnering with 36 Degrees North and making something that's actually inclusive and actually holistic and for everyone from the get go, rather than retroactively trying to make something inclusive because racism is in the media and, and nobody wants to look bad. So, you know, as Chris and I are clearly two white people, like I didn't notice. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just to say the stereotype of a Silicon Valley nerd, apparently, as we learned earlier. <laughs> what can, as someone, two people who are not in the tech industry, even though podcasting, I guess, could in, it's like in the Venn diagram is, it's, it's there. But what can we do to, to help, considering we are not either millionaires or billionaires? <laughs> <laughs> well, doing things like this, man, anytime that there's a message we want to get out, or anytime that there's a media connection we'd love to make, I mean, we, we, we love to come through to come through you guys. I mean, matter of fact, a Black Tech Street podcast has been kicked around. And I mean, you know, <laughs> hey, I, I, you know? I, I know yeah. a really good podcast producer and editor, <laughs> you know, so who, who knows? Um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe I planned to come here and put you on blast to ask you in front of everybody. <laughs> You. <laughs> you. Listen, you don't have to ask Jesse. Jesse is always looking for more podcasts yeah. to do. If he doesn't have 12 jobs, he's not happy. I'm I'm very depressed when I'm bored. So <laughs> podcast coming at you. So yeah, that's how it goes. So I mean, I'm just thinking about so in your Are you trying to change the subject because you don't want to commit to doing a Black Tech Street I, podcast? I already 100% committed. <laughs> I 110% committed. I'm just trying to get it on uh, uh, recorded so you can't back out later. Wait, you're the editor though. You could just delete it later. You have a timeline of yeah. this is going to roll out. At the end of that timeline is that that's the end of your launch timeline. What like what yeah. do you want 2 years from now? Five years from now, what do you want? What would you like Black Tech Street to look like and to have brought to Tulsa? Well, five years from now, I'd like Black Tech Street to be an entity that has capital to deploy in creative ways to to find creative ways to make Black Tulsa flourish through the tech industry. And I'd like also Black Tech Street, the new moniker to have over between 50 to 60 new African-American startups, you know. Um, north of north of twelve different venture capital firms focused specifically on on Tulsa entrepreneurs in the Midwest, and I'd like there to be permanent perpetual apparatus on TPS's school system that's actively producing students who are graduating knowing how to code. You know, I mean, I I think that that the Black Tech Street initiative, the four pillars that I'm talking about, obviously there was obviously there there's continual work that will be done on them as far as iterating on them, but some of these things can really be done in 5 years and the Black Tech Street initiative isn't all of it. I mean, the Black Tech Street initiative is is basically the startup game, the game of starting this new ecosystem of Black Tech Street, but it it goes beyond that. It it goes to finding all of these other opportunities to partner Tulsa with these with tech companies or organizations that are finding innovative ways to solve problems, build new economies and facilitate wealth creation in our community. So, you know, five years from now, I expect us to I expect us to be pretty, pretty well off. Obviously, there's going to in any anytime there's something like this, when black people are trying to build something for their community, there's going to be people who say, well, why is it just for black people? Right. What, what do you say to somebody about why doing this is not just great for the black community, but also great for Tulsa? Well, so, hey, we know that Tulsa's history has always been something of a, a learning point for the rest of the country. Tulsa's always, you know, been 
for better or worse, it's been for worse in the past, been a place of example for other places. So, I mean, the fact that we had the worst race massacre here in the his- in history and it got covered up, I mean, that just perpetuated to a culture that, you know, was terrible. Black Tech Street being built is not only going to be a new brand for our city, it's also going to build a new, beautiful, inclusive brand for our city, build a brand that shows that Tulsa is a place that is all about building new and incredible things. And the fact that black people could build this in the very same city where we were once murdered without recourse or without repercussion. I mean, I think that sends a powerful message, not just to Tulsans, but to the rest of the country, because I feel like Tulsa can be the shining city on a hill that's a beacon to the rest of our country in terms of, of race relations. And doing something like Black Tech Street would absolutely serve as a beautiful example for that. But for the people who don't like that, I tell them to kick rocks and I ignore them. <laughs> White people's fragility about their own place in society, just it drives me nuts. I'm like, you're fine. You're going to be fine. This isn't going to change anything about your life. It's not It's not always a zero-sum game. Somebody else's gain isn't it's, your loss. It's not at all like that. And part of the thesis behind Black Tech Street, and this is something that we're cultivating with Second Muse, is that racism isn't just some glass ceiling you have to break to be, cl- be kind. Like Racism is the glass ceiling. Society, for, for all of history, has ha- only had a small portion of individuals contributing to its advancement. You know, it's either kings, nobles, or priests. It's been that way for a long time. And now modernly, in the modern world, you know, you've only, it's white people and certain kinds of white people. But can you imagine if, can you imagine how more advanced our society would be if we dismantled all these systems of oppression and all of our people were able to participate and push society forward with their full potential because they're not oppressed or being excluded? Like, it's not about what you have to gain. Like, imagine what you have to what you have to lose. I mean, imagine what you have to gain in a situation like that. Imagine how much, how much faster society will advance. Imagine how much better things will be because we're utilizing and unlocking the full potential of all of our citizenry. You know, that's, that's, that's how we got to think about it. Yeah. Like how many, how many inventors, how many visionaries were lost right. in a terrible education system and systematic racism and all the, right. Again, it's a very pod for sad type of type of thought, but it's there. <laughs> oh, it's true. I mean, how many how many inventors, how many people who would have invented incredible things that benefited the world didn't because they were black and they knew some white person was just going to steal the idea from them or they might get killed for it. Or I mean, I mean, in or in all of society, imagine how many different walks of life people have been in that have given them specific perspectives that they could correlate to some problem they could solve in the natural world. But it didn't end up getting elevated or coming to fruition because of the way society was structured. I mean, we've, we've got to think about all of these things and we've, we've got to remedy them. One of the things I know that has stopped businesses from moving to Tulsa before is some of both Tulsa and Oklahoma's problems around education. And right. education is, is funded. As Chris and I like to complain a lot on this podcast about how Tulsa can't raise more taxes to put more money into education because of laws by the state. Because there's a state constitutional amendment yeah. against doing yeah. it. When when you're trying to bring new companies here, no matter who they are, like how do you how do you pitch them on the fact that yeah, there are these problems though? So the way part of what the third pillar is meant to do of Black Tech Street, I mean, part of a way to show that we're doing something different is to facilitate massive investment in the area where we have a deficit. You know, so I get that that's a problem, but coupled with some of the other um, incentives that we have. Plus the fact that we're pouring massive amounts of money and coordination into fixing this problem that is this education, this education issue 
hopefully people will want to come here to build, you know, not just to, not just to, uh, not just to reap, but also to help build this, this system where all of these companies want to come and want to work together because that's, that's what's going to yield a better society in general. And part of that stems out of education. But, you know, this question is so core because the reality is this is why Tulsa lost Tesla, to be real. I mean, the talent is everything. I mean, we could talk about whether or not Tesla coming here was, was going to be good or bad. People could talk about that. But the reality is when it comes to situations like that, it's all about the talent and it's all about education. You know, not only our K through 12, but Tulsa is one of the only major cities without a four year public research university, you know, and that's where a lot of companies look to pull a lot of their incredible talent from talent is the commodity, the commodity when it comes to uh, major companies. So, you know, you've got to, we've got to be thinking about these things and we've, we've got to figure out ways around our outdated, political system, you know, to, to, to remedy these issues. Let me ask you this. So we are still in the midst of the COVID-19 slash coronavirus pandemic. Right. And usually I sort of breezed over our original question, which was like, you know, in this pandemic, how are you doing? I'm not going to ask that one. I'm going to go to our last question, which is during this time, when you're trying to start this huge thing, when you're not working, what is your pop culture, comfort food. What do you do to relax? What do you do to have fun? I do to relax. Well, other than talking to and loving all my girlfriend, you know, uh, what do I do to relax? I not only read, but I rewatch episodes of Game of Thrones (laughs) before, you know, it ended the way it did. (laughs) Even though I still like the ending somewhat, it was just, yeah, you know, I rewatch episodes of Game of Thrones. In my yeah. head canon, the show sort of ends when Arya kills the Night King. Spoiler alert for our listeners. Like, yeah, you like, like to think that, but yeah. I, yeah, I was so happy at that moment. I'm like that, that. Still in my mind, like that's the memory I think about when I think about the last season. I'm like, I was so excited for that. So yeah, not. I liked. I liked. The concept of the ending, I just feel like they rushed it. If they had taken the last like three episodes, made it like six and built to it a little better, I think it would have been good. I I feel like the show was always going where it ended up. I know a lot of people don't agree with that, but I'm with you on that. He's always going to go mad. I mean, we saw that. He's been been giving you hints of that from like the very beginning. So Uh, it's just like when you go crazy earlier, they're all in moments that are against bad people so you're right. like yeah you're like wait a second she's murdered a mm-hmm. lot of people yeah yeah <laughs> she murdered yeah. a lot of people and then uh-huh. all her people who were there to give her counsel disappeared it was kind of yep. like yep. <laughs> Listen, uh-huh. you're gonna be a leader you have to have good good counselors and not just uh yes people as we've learned one one last question because i'm sure after people listen to this they're going to be uh, inspired by it. So how can people connect with you, connect with Black Tech Street, and how can they, you know, if they want to get involved and helped out, how, how can they do that? You can go to www.blacktechstreet.com, sign up saying you want to help. There will be multiple calls to action um, of how you can get involved. And through there, we can just work together to build this amazing thing because we want, this is something that could really change our community like in perpetuity. And I'm we're, gonna execute on it gotta make it happen i feel like this is this is my life's work for at least the first part of my life you know i like to think of my life in phases or seasons if you will you know so 
I'm still in that stage where I'm freeing people and conquering cities. But, you know, eventually I might get to the stage where, you know, I, I get the dragon and I, I just burn things down. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't, you know, hopefully that doesn't, hopefully we don't go there. But, you know, it's possible. It's possible. Yeah. yeah. You're like, you know what? I'm just going to sail off the end of the map. How about that? Uh, or I could do absolutely nothing and end up becoming king. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was just in prison and you're going to listen to him about who the next king should be. Anyway. All right. We'll save that, we'll save that for a, a nerdier podcast. Um, well, hopefully we'll be able to check in with you again, you know, six months, a year from now, have you on again. Maybe there'll be a black tech street podcast at that point. Yeah, but, could be. Uh, <laughs> I love it. I, I love it. <laughs> uh, well, th- thank you so much for joining us today. This is a lot of fun. Absolutely, man. Thank you. I want to thank you all for listening to our episode with Tyrants Billingsley II. He is an incredible person who's doing incredible work. You should keep him in mind. You can follow him on both Facebook and LinkedIn and While the Black Text Tree website is not up yet, it'll be up very, very soon. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with him. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts can be found. Please follow us on Facebook. Our Facebook page is pod, the number four, good. And if you're listening to this before October 22nd, please join us for our one-year anniversary live stream on October 22nd at 7 p.m. We'll be streaming it on Facebook and YouTube. You'll be able to find it. It'll be great. It's going to be a celebration of people who are trying to make the world a more vibrant, equitable, and inclusive place. And remember, Telsa and Broken Arrow, I saw the numbers today. Please remember to wear a mask. It's not for you. It's to protect other people. So get it done, Telsa, and wear that mask. 